Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species. We are an animal advocacy show dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly, appreciation. We are broadcasting from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia, streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are also available via 3CR and the Freedom of Species website. All podcasts are available via iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Emma Townsend and joining us in the studio is Melbourne animal activist and Animal Justice Party member Alana Bacon. And by phone we have Alex Vince from Animal Liberation New South Wales. Are you there, Alex? I am. Excellent. Great. Today we are discussing language and animals and how it acts as a weapon against animals perpetuating speciesism. And for those that don't know, speciesism means the assumption of human superiority leading to the exploitation of animals. Addressing language, I'll go into the categories in a minute, there are many categories, but addressing language can be a powerful form of activism also. Alana Bacon, that is your name. Can we just start with you even use your name to work on behalf of animals? Tell us about that. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Well, to be honest, I used to be a bit embarrassed being a vegan with a surname Bacon. I bet, I bet. (laughs) But then it turned out to be a good icebreaker to start a conversation about pigs. So I was able to educate people about their intelligence and individuality and um, also about how in nature, or when given the opportunity, a sow would make a nest prior to giving birth and she'd sing to her piglets by gently grunting while nursing them. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, because people would know that and it's a, a stark contrast contrast to how sows are in the animal um, factory farming situation. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Well, nothing like the cruel life on concrete floors where... Where, well, pigs and sows uh, can barely move and the horrific deaths we subject them to in factory farms and slaughterhouses. Mm. Uh, so at the very least, at the end of some conversations I've had, the person was at least no longer salivating over their desire for a pig sandwich. And, you, and how does that go down when you, when you say that to people? <laughs> uh, I think it, it, you know, I think they have misconceptions about pigs, you know, because there's a lot of negative 
sayings we use about pigs. Oh, the house was a pigsty. Oh, um, sweating like a pig. I mean, uh, you know, pigs are clean animals and they don't sweat. I mean, you know, we all always associate sweating with perhaps an odour or an uncomfortable feeling. You know, it's it's not a... You know, so to say sweating like a pig, it's used in a derogatory term, but it's actually a lie as well. So there's a lot of sayings that we use that we just need to throw out. You know, um, that's just one of the many that we can talk about today, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Because it brings us to um, kind of the first category which we jump to, isn't it, where we use animals as an insult or a demeaning um, remark. Um, Alex, and I'll just start off with, talking about some of the terms that really bug me. I And I, I'm so shocked that I find myself occasionally, not so often these days, but I have, referring to an animal as it. That really bugs me. When we're talking about a who, we're talking about a he or a she. Alex, can you comment on, on that? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I think the especially with something like that, with using a word that, immediately objectifies another living being, it kind of paves the way for all of the the exploitation, all of the abuse that follows it. So it's kind of a way that we use our language to keep each other and ourselves from being able to care enough to change, which is another way that it feeds into the industry. So it's really, we're, we're, when we use words like that and when we use phrases that kind of... Um, dismantle their individuality, we're really doing the industry a favour, which is part of why I'm so interested in language. It's another way that we can kind of get our messages across and also fight back against, as Alana just said, the lies, because that's what they are. They are lies. Alana, you were speaking before the show about reading a piece by Joan Denea. Is that how you pronounce Joan Joan, Joan Denea, Alex? You'd probably... I think it's... Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it might be Donaya. Donaya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Who wrote two books titled Animal Equality, Language and Liberation and Speciesism. And you were talking about she wants a noun to be a... Can you ah, tell us about that? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, we... When we use... Well, we consider a noun, a uh, person, place or thing, which then puts animals in the category of thing. Uh, she wants to see in the future a noun be animal, place and thing because after all we are all animals. There's um, non-human animals and human animals and but we are all animals. So, you know, a noun really should be animal, place and thing. And uh, also um, just as an aside, I was thinking the other day about how uh, when I go out with members of the family, and I'm sure a lot of vegans have been in this position, where they may go out to a function with members of the family who are not, you know, aren't vegans, and uh, so now it's at the stage where they make sure there's plenty of vegan options. Otherwise, I just won't you go. go. Okay. Um, but I've been considering lately saying when I'm out with them, uh, instead of saying I'll. Oh, what are you having for lunch? I've been considering saying, oh, who are you having for lunch? I don't know how that would go down, but um, I figure if uh, 
they're comfortable, um, it shouldn't bother them. And if they're not, maybe it's time they started reconsidering their choices. It's, yeah, so it is the, the pronoun thing. And, and what do you also think, Alex, about the, the term non-human animal? Like when we, it it's get, gets confusing as an activist of what, what you can say and what you can't. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's an interesting one because I'm, I'm a bit concerned with using non-human animal as a, as a term to, um, to refer to other animals. Be, only because it kind of, it still centers ourselves. So it's still saying the human is the norm. The human is the one that we compare all other, all other animals against. So if you say non-human, it's basically doing that. It's just it's still centering ourselves. Whereas if we said something like other animals, we're kind of you know putting ourselves on you know equal footing. I think, mm-hmm. which might be you know a positive way to refer to them, but we still need to go further than that. And it's in the words that we use every day of our lives. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, most definitely, I think there's a there, there's a bit of concern around non-human, mm-hmm. only because it still centers ourselves. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I get that too. Yeah, I see that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. So it, enough, yeah. yeah, it is kind of yeah a powerful form of activism. Then just to correct um, people's pronouns, I think we've covered that one mm. there. And I'd just like to um, just explore a little bit more about terms that really. Are there any other terms that really bug you? And um, I know it's ironic that I'm saying bug, <laughs> bug you, um, but um, that that bug you the most, Alex. Um, I think. Well, for me personally, anything to do with pigs really affects me. Um, only because I've, since I've started to become a bit more interested in language and the history of why we use certain terms and phrases, way, way back before there was intensive agriculture and before we'd set up all these, you know, industrial systems basically with mechanical, you know, parts. And before all of that, pigs lived much, much, much closer to us. They would basically eat you know, the leftovers off our plates, right? So they were so close to us. We needed to invent something or invent new ways of talking about them where we could detach them far enough away that we could still do the horrible things that we do to them, simply so we can eat their bodies, which, as we know, is unnecessary. But anything to do with a pig, it it kind of brings back, you know, how things were and what we needed to do to, to continue behaving in ways that, you know, morally and ethically in the, in our hearts of hearts, we would all be against. So we use these words as a way to kind of to distance and detach ourselves. And I think that started, it may have started with pigs mm-hmm. because pigs are one species that were only bred to be eaten. So like there were other species like, you know, cows, uh, chickens, they used to be called dual species, so you could use them for their flesh and also for their fluid, whereas pigs, you would only eat them and keep them for their flesh. So that was kind of a, like a, a a really deep and fundamental shame, I think, that that was happening. So that's where all these words like you filthy pig, you dirty pig, all these, you know, you know, insults that we use to kind of distract ourselves from thinking about what we actually do to these animals. So it is a very, it's a purposeful design in our language that has been created. And and that is part of the group of what you um, refer to as the commodity group of animals where we have adopted this, uh, this very particular language. Can you speak to that more, Alex, when it comes to, um, you know, 
a processing plant instead of a slaughterhouse or a, mm. a, a yeah. Can you speak more on that for yeah. us? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we think about ourselves passing away, well, there's another one. That's, that's something that we say. We say that we passed away, and I did that automatically without even thinking about it. We pass away. We kick the bucket. We push up daisies. We have all of these, you know, these phrases that we use to kind of not think too much about, you know, the inevitability of our death. But the animals that we breed and confine and kill to eat, the the words that we use about them dying have nothing to do with it. And if they do, it's in such a way that we can kind of, you know, put the blinkers up. We don't need to think too much about it. So, yeah, the they're, they're pigs are slaughtered, they're processed, and they're dressed. Whereas if we think about what some of those words might mean for us, to be as basic as we can if you address it's like having your, your life taken away from you in the most brutal way possible for no reason that's got nothing to do with what we do every single morning but we use those words and the exact same words to talk about what we do to them so i think what that shows us is that these words and mostly all words but mostly words that we use to kind of cover up things they come they kind of t- come with pre-attached or you know boxed in images and ideas that are all attached to them. So like agriculture in itself, if you think of agriculture, you don't really think of blood. You don't really think of, you know, you know, a, a processing line. You think of rolling hills. You think of sheds. You think of grass. You think of bright blue skies. And this is the same word that we use to talk about processing. It, it's a, a really fundamental disconnect that we've got in our language that then bleeds through into the way that we think and then bleeds again into the way that we act about act about these things. So we are it's obvious and it's a it's a very purposeful laundering of terms. Mm. You're saying that hide the cruelty um, when it comes to these animals um, you group as commodity. The term humane comes to mind. Um, yeah. Yeah, can you speak to that? Yeah, most definitely. Um, Recently, we were involved in an inquiry into um, surveillance um, laws in New South Wales. And during that inquiry, uh, one of a, a member of the Australian egg industry, he was asked about, you know, what what's going on in these, you know, images that, of we, that we see of, you know, birds inside cages. And his response was, every animal has a bad day in an agricultural supply chain. That's exactly what he said. And that's kind of saying, look, what happens, happens. We're doing what we can, but what happens, happens. So humane is it's an obvious, you know, phrase that we use to, to divert our thoughts and our, you know, in, when it comes down to it, our thoughts and our actions. Because if we can't think past what we are told humane means, then we're going to continue to do what we do. So unless we can kind of pick apart these, you know, industry lies, then we're going to continue to do what we do. So that's why I think language is so important. And I do think humane is one of the most um, deceptive and dishonest words that are used. It's definitely used a lot as a as a washing, isn't it, to, um, mm. you know, I know I have conversations with people or I haven't even mentioned it, but they know I'm vegan. So in front of me, they'll say, if, if they've mentioned a, 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 an animal 
product that they've bought. Oh, it's a, oh, it's it's humane. We made sure it was humane. Mm. So it is used. Um, it's riddled throughout packaging and and what have you. Um, like absolutely. And um, like with vivisection, I um, noticed Joan Denea uh, read some comments she made about vivisection uh, in relation to language. And uh, she says the language used in laboratories to dismiss the suffering they inflict on non-human animals. And uh, she says vivisection refers to these coerced victims as bio-machines, research tools and disposable preparations, uh, thus avoiding the use of the emotionally charged word fear. And researchers instead uh, report that their subjects urinated, defecated, trembled. Now, the term they use, terminal food deprivation, replaces forced starvation. Aversive stimuli encompasses repeated electric shocks, blows, burns and other forms of torture. And, of course, each year researchers sacrifice, that is, kill millions of animals who lack protective, uh, the protective membership afforded the human species. Mm. So, or who have membership in the human species. So, you know, in all, you know, in factory farms, um, slaughterhouses, in horrible, you know, vivisection laboratories, um, you know, it's all sanitised, like... Um, yeah, it's laundered, laundered. laundered terms yeah. of what we're actually doing to keep us... Um, to keep us separate from the sentient being that they are yeah, quite, that's, on purpose. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right, yeah. There's also a whole other kind of, um, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's a category, but I was speaking to Sally who has the show Out of the Pan before Freedom of Species and um, she said, oh, you know, during the week I heard the government um, referred to as a lame duck or and then another journalist or someone said they were dead in the water and in her mind she said oh they're all like duck hunting terms or hunting terms aren't they and I did and then it sort of opened up because when you start scratching this area of language and animals it just gets bigger and bigger and um absolutely yeah yeah and there's there's terms that we use a lot like uh, well I don't but you know we use uh oh kill two birds with one stone, you can't swing a cat in here or there's more than one way to skin a cat or um, I think, Alani, you said pay peanuts. You, you were, get monkeys. Pay peanuts, get monkeys. Yeah. And, Alex, I, I, I remember you, uh, I was reading um, one of your talks and uh, you said that when you grew up, um, one uh, saying that you heard often was the only good fox is a dead fox. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Over mm. and over and over oh. again. Over. And that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? The, I yeah. can't help but wonder that the repetition of all these sayings um, kind of numbs a violence or it makes, I guess, I mean, adver- ad- advertising people know this and I'm no psychologist, but it there's, becomes a numbing, vi- a numbing kind of acceptance of these terms and inherently, therefore, you're accepting a violence. Would you, do you have anything to say to, say to that, Alex? I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think repetition is one of the key elements here. If if we don't keep saying these phrases, if we don't keep saying these words, that opens up a question mark. Whereas now, as you said, they're accepted. They're, com- they, they're almost common sense to a point. Whereas if you don't think about it, it's that's just life. That's It becomes reality when we know that it's not reality. 
So it's kind of, it manufactures reality around the words itself, I think, which is one of the biggest, biggest things that we need to think about. Because if we can kind of not rewrite the words, but kind of use words in a, in a, um, in a way that, you know, doesn't mask this grand delusion that we've got about our species, then we're going to start to see change. Because as, as you say, it is everywhere. It's insidious and it's the repetition that keeps its power, which is another big thing, the power, which is the powerful using power over the weaker. And obviously, in this context, it's us using our power of language that we can, you know, transmit between each other and feed off each other and give each other ideas. If we can kind of get in between that and use other words that kind of, you know, promote compassion, that can promote kindness and promote reality as well, then that's going to see change, I think. Mm. It's so true because when you think about it, um, you know, in the human-to-human history we've had, I mean, there are certainly terms to our fellow humans that you can't say anymore that used to be said a lot. You know, I mean, it's it's not a new thing Mm. that that language is incredibly powerful as a tool in how you want to frame people or, or um, you know, animals. Before we go to a break, I thought I'd just mention, because, you know, Joan Danier is with her books and her work. She's, she's someone that, you know, if you're interested in this area, it's worthwhile reading her books. She mentions kind of sexism. She takes it that far as in a, like a gender, uh, a cultural design um, of gender. Uh, two of the words she uses is like, you know, wolf and cur are often used for men that are lone wolves and, you know, and a vixen or a bitch for a female. So they're very gendered pejoratives here. Have you guys got anything to comment on about the sexism element of it? Um, well, with wolves, I mean, it's totally... A lie. I mean, wolves are um, monogamous animals, and um, so they're not philanderers. No, not at all. And uh, we we project, you know, our or if you want to call it human failings onto onto the innocent wolf. And uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying uh, they they may, you know, uh, have been known in um, some cases to perhaps hook up, if I can use that word, with uh, um, another relative in the pack. But, you know, generally they're steadfastly monogamous. I went to say magnanimous. I always get that mixed up, but they may be magnanimous as well for all I know, but um, definitely monogamous. It's really interesting, isn't it, because we take the negative aspects again of our human character and project them onto an animal Mm. and a lot of the time... That it's actually not a true reflection of what we know about the animal. Yep. So we really need to stop that. Anyway, I think we might go to that break now. I'm going to play a song by Prince called Free. Don't cry unless you're happy. Don't love you You are on Freedom of Species 3CR 855 AM and that was a tune by 
Prince called Free. And hopefully today will actually prompt a lot of questions when it comes to languages, language and animal terms and will free them from the shackles of the prison that language can help keep them in. We were actually just talking during the break, Alana, about the term when people say, oh, they're just, oh I was treated like an animal or they're just animals. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like you might hear, oh, you know, you know, they bash somebody, and um, they say, you know, uh, you know, exactly what you just said. They were just animals. I mean, and or I felt like an animal. Yeah, or I'm yeah. not an animal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, that helps to demean animals, doesn't it? Certainly. In so many ways. Yeah, and yeah. now when I when I hear that, I can't help it. I I just if I hear somebody saying that, I say, don't insult animals. So does that mean you're meant to? We're allowed to and treat animals terribly yeah interesting yeah okay the australian continent has been extensively modified by animal agriculture we know that with um a term livestock mainly cows sheep and dairy cows grazing on native or modified pastures on about they say 56 percent but i'm sure that's a very old percentage of the whole continent so our language reflects this design of land management, keeping us cemented in in thinking about the landscape of animals in a certain way. Um, Alex, I want to talk to you about one of the first talks you did in this area was called the pest epithet. Firstly, what's an epithet? It's basically a, um, a specific term that becomes something that we almost immediately associate with another or anything that we're talking about. So in the term... In- as it applies to the pest epithet, if you think of a pest, just think about what you immediately imagine, what immediately pops up into your mind. It's always negative. It's never positive. So, so that's yeah. like something. Sorry. Yeah, so that's okay. So how powerful is this use of language and how does it help cushion or enable, excuse, constructs of relationship we have within, in your words, the uncaged group of animals we call pest vermin or indeed switch conveniently from from native to animals in plague proportions. Yeah, that's right. Um, This is, yeah, as you said, this is where I first started to really get interested in the function of language. Um, Because I I almost, well, accidentally I came across this image on the internet and it looked to me like a dog. Uh, It was dirty, he'd been found underneath, I think it was in some construction site. Everyone thought he was a dog. We'll go and save him, we'll get him, we'll take him to the vet, we'll make sure he's okay, which is the right thing to do, which is what I imagine that we would all all do. Um, when he got to the vet, they cleaned him up and they found that he was a fox. Oh. And that got me thinking, if we did that, especially in my home state, in New South Wales, if I was to do that, if I was to come across a dirty fox and imagine that it was a dog, pick him up, put him in my car, take him to a vet, I, I could be charged. I could, I could face thousands, honestly, thousands of dollars in fines. And that's because you're not allowed in this, in this state to rescue a fox. It's against the law. There's something called a pest control order or a PCO, mm. which um, basically criminalises compassion against select species. And I think you can see the power of a certain word, pest, mm. feral. Yep. You can see the power there. Yeah. It's it's a big one, isn't it? Because you, and obviously, 
the New South government felt very strongly about this people starting to show their compassion and rescuing foxes or absolutely and so they brought in this pest control order because it's it's important not uh, to brainwash people that not to see the sentience of an individual fox and it's really interesting isn't it because if you think about your puppy dog or you know the dogs that you've mm. got if, you know if someone yeah. went past a dog that was half you know injured and and you know obviously in distress that uh, all members of the most of the community would go hey someone looking out for that dog whose dog's that let's get the dog to the vet whereas if it's a fox i mean how dangerous is that um cultivating of an affliction within ourselves when it comes to compassion oh Uh, i think it's incredibly dangerous yeah i think um it, it, it just shows you the, the um, almost the mechanical power that certain words have. That the, you, they're, they're, there are assumptions built into them, and there are also kind of conclusions as well, so like connections that stem from a certain word. So if you think of pests, you think of uh, any number of you know, certain species that we've become culturally accustomed to, I don't know, be disgusted by, like um, mice, rats. Um, cockroaches. These are the things that most. When I ask them, most people think of those those species when we talk about pests. Mm. And it's interesting because it all, it kind of primes us to not only expect violence but to kind of be also complicit in it. So we we we're more willing to be violent against a pest than we would a companion. And it has nothing to do with you know whether or not that species or individual feels pain. Not, none whatsoever. It has to do with the framing around them being a pest or a nuisance and the outcome that eventually comes from that. So it, the outcome is always violence and it's always death. Because if you think of pest, it's something to get rid of, it's mm-hmm. something to control, and then it comes into other words like harvest, manage, cull, which are all words for murder. Yeah, because we, I mean... Uh, I think you mentioned in your talk that I listened to previously, Alex, that um, uh, Europeans brought foxes here in the in the first place so they could hunt right. the animals that they were accustomed to. That's, so that's one hundred percent true. Yeah. Yeah. So now, I mean, yeah. they're here. Um, they have to survive. They have to eat. Mm. Um, mm. We may protect. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people with rescued chooks that will do their best mm. to protect them protect them from foxes um, from an awful yeah. death but the, the fact remains yeah. that they're here through no fault of their own and um, yeah. and we malign them in every way we can and we we don't even want to help them or you know trying to take our uh, innately you know compassionate um, uh, feelings away when it comes to them and, and just destroy them literally and um i mean of course they're going to have their own families their own um you know babies and they need to feed them and you know it's survival it's survival and uh you know rather than just be culling and killing everything in sight we we should be looking at other ways to um i don't know maybe i think you may have touched on this earlier in one of your talks uh, you know somebody brought up a question on the q a about sterilization um, I just, 
it seems that they don't want to bother spending the money or the time or effort to actually have a better outcome for these animals. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly right. I agree completely. Well, that's how the the language is so powerful. Like any species labelled vermin or they're in plague proportions, it gets back to this design of landscape that we revere and we must protect that. And And also we have this violence also engendered as a protection of endangered species. Anything that takes the attention away from humans um, encroaching on other habitats, <laughs> you know, as we encroach with our urban sprawl or logging or increased grazing areas, anyone that interferes with that can be just labelled pest or feral or there's too many of them, let's cull. Do you have yep. anything further to add to that, Alex? Yeah, I, I think you, you raise a really um, important aspect of uh, the language that we use about animals, and that's the the, um, the diverting or the kind of almost uh, erasing of any responsibility. And we do that with the words that we use. So, <clears throat> pardon me. So, using the words that we do about so-called commodity species or the uncaged, as in animals that live outside cages, they live freely. And that kind of worries us because they're out of place. They're a bit of a threat. They could do anything. They could, you know, prey upon our, you know, commodity species or they could, you know, be, become a threat to our, our valued, uh, quote-unquote, native species. Um, and the responsibility is that we are all part of this. We're all part of, you know, this ecosystem. We all live on the same planet. We all have as much of a right to, as Alana mentioned, survive, which is what they're doing. But laws have been put up and, you know, and also in our minds, this, this entire system that catalogues animals according to, you know, their relative worth, in other words, what we can get out of them, uh, that, that it all feeds together. And it, it, when you get further along, you go from companion, you go to commodity, you go to uncaged, the violence just escalates the further you go from the commandion to the uncaged because we, the things that we accept or we are actually complicit in that happen to foxes, that happen to wild dogs, that happen to pigs that live in the bush, um, but they, they are just, they are destroyed. The things that we do to them are unbelievable. That We poison them with a toxin that is banned almost everywhere else in the world. Yep. It's unbelievable. Yep. And it's just, it all comes back to the fact that our responsibility is negated and their individual individuality, sorry, is erased. So they can't suffer. And that, in, in, it, in turn, that means that we can't grieve for their loss, which is, for me, another big thing. So you can't t- grieve for the loss. Yeah, yeah I, I think of one, you brought up the wild dog uh, mm. terminology, which is a very interesting one because yep. we have wild dog management system and the, yep. there you go, wild dog management system and a wild dog, mm. we've had ecologists on the show talk about how that is a purely politicised label for dingoes. Mm. So, 100%. And that yep. dingo is our apex predator, a native animal, so it just shows a fluidity from which if we don't want the animal there, native or whatever, 
um, we can just say you don't belong in the landscape. You're you're pest. You're a pest. Mm. We can we can get yep. rid of you. And as you say, with the wild dog and the issue, we'll see in the countryside if you go on drives occasionally. Um, properties sometimes hang the dead carcass of the dingoes uh, on yeah. fence lines. I, I remember a farmer saying, well, it was so, you know, we're showing our neighbours that they, they might be looking for cert- to see, check if certain dogs have been caught and they'll see it. Yeah. It even doesn't allow a grieving or a... It, it's, it's like they're so worth nothing in that landscape that it doesn't matter yeah. how they die, you say by... Um, 1080 poison in this case, which can take mm. how long can it take for a dog to die? Up to 48 hours to die at the right. most tortureful, repulsive mm. death, inhumane yeah. death. Of which, you, if you gave that poison to an animal under the different category of mm. companion, you could be prosecuted. Yep. Is that right? Yeah, rightly so. Yes, for um, animal so, cruelty. Yeah, yep. I think Australia yep. and New Zealand are the only countries that still use 1080. And, um, That's right. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's absolutely shocking. I, I, you know, it's hard to believe that we can. And it's it. They don't only eradicate the the animal they're trying to eradicate, which is, you know, no animal should should uh, yeah. should should die, and especially die that way. And uh, but it's also then the animals that feast off the carcasses um, yeah. that die as well, uh, a shocking death. Yeah. So, so they can die, yeah. and they might maybe native eagles. Or, yeah, of course. You know. Well, look at—you probably heard about the story about the the farmer that directed uh, somebody to one of his employees to um, poison carcasses of lambs. Oh, that's right. To get to kill the uh, they killed the um, witch tails, witch tail eagles when they yeah feasted yeah. off the carcasses. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Just um, yeah. horrific. So any actually. animal we deem yeah. doesn't belong, um, we we feel justified. An animal, yeah. like a probably a bit off off um, subject a bit, but the um, you know, wedgetail will probably you know, there's enough perhaps roadkill or you know, animals, baby lambs die in the paddocks every year, millions of them through exposure and hypothermia, and you know, uh, you don't have to poison a carcass to get a you know to for a wedge tail to come there i mean there will be through oh, neglect that's another point yeah there's through a lot neglect of, dying, of, yeah. of these animals they, they will be everywhere yeah um so yeah. it's just a a shocking human thing to do yeah yeah it's really kind of empowering talking about this language and animals thing because it is something you know there's a lot of people that are animal activists or want to be animal activists but they can't find ways in which to be one you know they might not want to they can't get to protests or they can't they don't want to take other actions so this pulling people up on their language is a very powerful one Alex I mean you mentioned that when it comes to the animal references such as we've spoken about for things to change we've got to we've got to call the BS you say yeah absolutely yeah. I think we really do. And I think that starts, as you say, by start, by beginning to talk about it. Because it, it, it's, one of, it's, it's something that we use every day, but it's something that we don't really think about. Mm. I, I didn't really think about my language before I'd kind of had that epiphany, I suppose, with the, um, the dirty fox. Mm. 
Um, that's what started it for me. So what I'm hoping to do by keeping talking about language, keeping, you know, this, you know, idea going is for us all to start talking. Because it's only by talking that we're going to find out where and how deep these lies go and how it impacts upon, you know, our thought process and our actions and how we be, how we make reality itself in the end. Um, yeah, I think beginning the conversation, and I, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that, you know, doing this is an empowering kind of uh, experience because that's really what I, what I want to, you know, get out of conversations about talking, which is a bit of a weird thing to say, but <laughs> it's exactly what I'm hoping to happen. Uh, yeah. it, it is kind of rearranging everything, isn't it? Because yeah. we, do, we yeah. don't think about a lot of the language we, we, we use. You know, we don't and unless we do. And I, I must admit, when it comes to the pest issue, I find it difficult. Like a couple of mm. weeks ago when you're speaking to conservationists, for example, there was a show on cassowaries and, and pig dogs we did a couple of weeks ago. And I did find, because it's such a... An, a framework that we've got for people because they mm-hmm. they know okay introduce species feral whatever but you kind of just have to pull the rug from under that and just start again don't you in a way Absolutely. and and just talk yeah. it out and um, I know that Joan Denier in an interview mentioned we should even stop using the word farming when it comes to animals and use enslavement and killing because it's mm. you know f- for her farming to go to that extent. So it's very it's very powerful. I mean, look, I've, I've, look, two months ago, it's horrible to say, but a friend was chatting away about something and she said, you know, she referred to someone as a cow. She was such a cow. And, like, I know for a long time, I found that one very offensive. I'd go, excuse me, and i just have the excuse me, you know, because that yep. to me is just that, that one that people still use a lot is just... Mm what what are you actually saying there cow is a beautiful sentient creature you know um so really pull people up when they when they use these terms people Mm. because it's really powerful yeah you you can say it in a nice way (laughs) yeah absolutely and i think it is it has become automatic and uh we we do it without thinking i think Mm. i don't think there's always malice behind what we say i think it's become almost yeah, automatic. Something that just happens, and we don't really think about it. Mm. So, what, 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 what better way to get people thinking about it than by asking questions? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Oh, do you know that cows, such and such? Yeah, that's just a way to you know begin that conversation. Yeah, what a horrible saying when we say, "Oh, you know, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone." Mm. You know, I mean. I I've said that now when I say it I I said it a while back and I thought oh, I stopped myself and I thought mm. what are you saying and I thought of the implications really of the words and and yet killing two birds with one stone had nothing to do with it was like you know obviously I was going somewhere and I thought well I'm there I'll do you were just this, rushing around yeah this so other message could, as yeah. well and and that's what came to mind and I thought who invented yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a horrible saying, yeah. you know. Yeah. So now I I stop every time and I consider what I've said and I make it my business to to eliminate so these. Powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with the pest issue, I go, well, who is the um, – let's look at who the biggest pest is and let's be real about this. It's us and look at our use of land and how we're encroaching and, and we're never going to get rid of so-called pest species anyway just by killing yeah. and killing. So I kind of – try and add a sentence or two that I remember. 
and our native. And look at our the, the kangaroo on our coat of arms. And right. you know we we're talking about culling, yep. culling them all the time. I mean, you know, because we have moved in, we're taking yeah. over the habitat. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, no wonder right. they're on freeways and turning up in exactly. all sorts of places. Do you think yeah. they want to be there? Do you think they want yeah. to hang around with us, the people who, you know, who so mercilessly want to slaughter them? Yeah. No, of course exactly. they don't. Yeah. But we're leaving them yeah. little choice. I'm going to kind right. of uh, wrap the conversation up with one term, and it's quite appropriate for this racing carnival time. We find ourselves in knackered, the word knackered. Mm-hmm. I'm knackered. It's a knackery and it kind of makes light of it, I think. You know, it's like our tiredness. It's a knackery, you know, and we know that um, a lot of the horses that, well, a lot of horses from the racing industry and elsewhere go straight to a knackery and it's interesting because a lot of sheep and animals we use in animal agriculture have like a tag or like a, a, a thing that we know from the whole process there we go process from birth to the slaughter you can track that animal down whereas horses don't have that so I know that it's causing a lot of conversation when the racing industry wants to brag about percentages that they rehome and whatever apparently a lot of um, horses from the racing industry they're not even going to the sale yards now where that data would be collected they're just going straight to the knackery so they're not being counted there you go we've got some community service announcements now for the coalition for the protection of race horses i might go go through them first alana they have tomorrow a live webcast 5 30 monday where they will address gaps holes and questions as i before mentioned left unanswered on the racing industry side of the story so tune into that on their facebook page 5 30 tomorrow There's also an Eat Pizza to Help Racehorses event in Melbourne at Red Sparrow in Smith Street, Collingwood. That's on November the 6th, 5 to 10. And the same day, 2.30 to 11pm, the Melbourne Musicians Against the Melbourne Cup have many live bands and DJs strutting their talent at the Tote in Collingwood. Tickets are 15 to 20 bucks. And, of course, there's... Uh, yes, there's uh, there's Nup to the Cup picnic and um, that's bringing together two of Melbourne's favourite pastimes, fashion and sport. Fashion. Fashion, Fashions. sorry. Yes. Uh, we deliver to you a free alternative to the old race that stops the nation to say Nup the Cup and that's on Tuesdays the 6th of November at Newmarket Reserve, corner of Epson and Racecourse Road, Flemington, between 10 and 5. So bring along your picnic rug or chair, vegan food and drinks, or you can purchase from our cruelty-free bar and barbecue. And you can wear what you like. It's optional, silly outfits, dress up, dress down. It's free. And come and witness the fabulously fashionable competitors as they battle out for the grand prize or enter and compete for the grandest prize of prizes yourself. Beautiful. Is, is, sorry, they're all Melbourne events, Alex, but I think Sydney has yep. one as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah, it'll be in Martin Place. In Martin Place. Uh, on you can find that on our Facebook page. Yeah. Excellent. Great. And also one more thing, Alana being a member of the Animal Justice Party, you just wanted to make it clear to clear up a bit of confusion. You've said in the past people have gone, oh, I voted Animal, Animal Justice Party second. Yeah. So when, you, yeah. when you're voting for a party, can you just clear up that? You've got to vote sure. first for your first. Yeah. Well, 
firstly, I'll make it if brief, but um, firstly, I'll, I never had an interest in politics until till the Animal Justice Party was formed. So I still don't profess to know a lot about it. I do know, however, that, yes, people used to come out after the elections and say, oh, I gave you my second or third vote. And really, we need your first vote. We need you to vote one AJP because obviously we're not going to be winning the election. But you make your vote count twice by voting one AJP and then when we get eliminated, your second preference, our vote goes to your second preference. Right, okay. So, you know, if just say, I don't so know. So for a minority party, you're yeah. not really doing them a favour by voting no. in second. Okay, they need, so to be, they need to be one. Yeah, yeah. so okay. that, that tells the other pollies, you know, that the major parties that one, that animals matter. And, um, and uh, you know, like uh, that way, um, you know, we can get a chance to get somebody in there so that when all these animal issues come up and they do a lot, there's representation for animals. So we can do all our activism, but we need, we need animals in the political arena so we can work hard for them on both fronts. I'd like to thank very, very much um, Alex Vince. Thanks for taking time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. And Alana Bacon, thank you. Thank you, Nick Prentergast, as well, with all your help for today's subject. If you'd like to contact us, please do at info at freedomofspecies.org, Facebook, Twitter or the website. Um, coming up, we have in psychedelia, they talk about all things drugs. It's really interesting about, you know, um, you know what drugs should be legalised, what aren't illegal and all the, all the crap that goes on about it. And, uh, yeah, so taking us out, um, I think I might play another Prince song here. Why not something completely non-related to the <laughs> show? What about Little Red Corvette? Oh. And it was nice to talk to you, Alex. It was lovely to talk to you too. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you both so much. Thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.